Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people get to sit down with you, right? I know, I know that you're involved in quite a lot of stuff and we just want to hear about all of it. And of course, how you came to be here. So right on, take it away. And uh, thank you again for coming. Oh, awesome. So did I just start talking? You betcha. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We've tried this for a long time, but it just Saturdays never worked for mm-hmm. the kitchen restaurant industry, especially. That's right. And yeah, my name is Braden Kieran Tigamore. I'm mm. an Indigenous Queer Two Spirit from the Clicho region in the Northwest Territories from Treaty Eleven. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess you could say I, I like to tell people I'm from Kieran's Island, which is located in Betrico. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know where that is. Like my geography up north is very off, so it's kind of like the northern tip of the Great Slave Lake in the Northwest oh, okay. Territories. Yeah. Okay. The Great Slave Lake. So there's two Slave Lakes, right? Yeah. There's the one in Alberta. And one in Saskatchewan. Uh, the one in the Northwest Territories? Northwest Territories. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I think we were, I don't know if they referred to this one as Lesser Slave Lake. Oh, that would be interesting if they did. Because I think there was some maps that I saw that. Yeah. But like, I, I could be wrong. It was Lesser. Sorry. I don't know what I'm looking for here. I think I need a Kleenex though. I think I'm, did I have any Kleenex out here, man? Let me just check my pocket. I'm sorry, Braden. No, it's all good. It's like when you start talking and then all of a sudden you feel like a little bit of, your nose running? <laughs> I get that. Please. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm 35. I currently reside in Calgary, mm-hmm. but I've been pretty much Cleacher Albertan since I think 2009 I got my license switched over. Oh, okay. Yeah, I spent most of my time in uh, Grand Prairie. What's in Grand Prairie? Uh, I actually wanted to go to college there, but oh, okay. by the time I got up and went there, like the, none of the funding fell through so mm. I, I moved there but I didn't have I didn't end up going to school so mm. I just ended up working in the restaurant industry yeah okay and so um you you're in recovery yes I am yeah so it's like amazing first of all um I wish I, I'm gonna have to study the north like I'm gonna have to study the geography because it's just so first of all I always wanted to go up there because it's just so beautiful like from pictures and stuff but yeah it, it seems like in Canada, anyway, that's like a draw for me, for sure. Can you tell us about it? Like, I don't know anything about it. Do you want to talk about your home? or yeah. Anything you want to talk about is, is, is free. So Yeah, okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I was born in January. My biological parents are uh, Cecilia Migui and Velmo Giroux. 
Okay. Those are my biological parents, but my parents who raised me are Kieran and Rosemore. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, the Northwest Territories is, is an amazing, beautiful, spectacular place. Mm. I took pretty much, I didn't really take advantage of it when mm. I was living up there. Now that I'm getting older, I'm just, I, I miss it. I miss, mm. I miss, I just miss being home. I miss the familiarity, being around friends and family mm. and people that I've known my entire life. Yeah. It feels different, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So, and you've been back a few times. Yeah, I have. Um, I haven't been back home since I've been sober. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my clean date is uh, July 7th, 2019. Right on. Congrats. So even before that, I think it was about like eight, maybe about four or five years I was in active okay. addiction. Yeah. But yeah, no, I went up home recently. Uh, I got invited to go home and speak for a youth conference, a youth gathering. <sighs> What was that like? It was such an... I, I don't know. There was such a rush of emotions, but most of it was like... All, all of it was positive. Mm -hmm. Because like, when I was in active addiction, I guess my lowest point, I was like kind of underneath the Peace Bridge at mm -hmm. one point in my life. Yeah. And I was about there for... I was under there for about two weeks. And when I was in active addiction, I was just saying, one day I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk about recovery. Even though I was still in addiction, I'm yeah. just like, I know I'm going to sober up and I'm going to be telling people my story and this is going to be part of it. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's, <clears throat> and that is a part of it. <clears throat> it is. Right on. And so tell us, like, what, 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 obviously, you know, you don't have to get into any details you don't want to, but like, but what, kind of what was it like out there for you and, and what kind of, obviously now I have an idea that the, under the bridge, Living under the bridge is definitely a less desirable place for any of us to be, right? So yeah, definitely. That seems like it might have been a catalyst for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really great opportunity. Because mm -hmm. like I was mentioning, I was like praying, like I'm going to be going home one day and mm -hmm. talking about this. And I guess they had a, a meeting, maybe a council meeting. And they were talking about the youth gathering and they were thinking about people that they should bring. And I've mm -hmm. been very vocal about my recovery since day one. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've just been very vocal about it. And I've been counting my days and everything online. Mm -hmm. And I, I post about what I go through. And and yeah, a lot of people like get back home. Mm -hmm. And Well, you're very honest and forthright. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's all about authenticity. Mm -hmm. It's like once I stop lying to myself, I stop lying to the world. Wow. I wish I could have learned that a lot younger, man. I really do. <laughs> Because <laughs> you're right. That's pretty much what it comes down to as we get older too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trying to find that authentic self. Definitely. Mm. But I guess, I don't know, I guess the, I'm sorry. It's okay. We were talking about um, you being invited back to share. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Let's get back to that. I yeah, got it. good. They, yeah, I guess they had a council meeting and whatnot. My name was dropped a handful of times. Right on. So I, one of the representatives emailed me and said, we want to invite you to come home and speak about mm -hmm. your recovery story. And I just felt heard and seen. And mm -hmm. I just felt so amazing to get the opportunity to go mm -hmm. home and share my story of recovery. Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but like sharing our story at any point in time is is part of the process for not only ourselves, but maybe for others, right? To hear the story and catch on to something that might help them or whatever. But to be able to share your story at home, I can't even imagine. I'm not sure I'd be able to. Like going back somewhere like, say, California and sharing my story of recovery. 
with a bunch of people I knew. I'm not sure I could. I think it would, well, maybe I could now, but I think it would be very, very, like, powerful stuff. I think it was, because yeah. I, when they did it, it was a week-long conference, but mm-hmm. I had, like, a section where I shared about a, my, my story for about 45 minutes. So there was me and another person, so I think it was split into, like, 22, 25 minutes or something oh, okay. like that. okay, yep. So her and I, we did this, and it was about maybe about six sessions. Right on. But, yeah, I talked about every, everything that I could think of that I went through. Mm-hmm. I was really iffy about how I should word it. Like, how should I word this story? Because this is for youth. This is for youth back mm-hmm. home. They, they, they don't know. They yeah. haven't seen what I've seen, and they, don't, they haven't yeah. had those experiences. So I was, like, really iffy about it. So I started asking people, like, how should I do this? Like, mm-hmm. what should I do? Like, how should I do this? Like, what should I, what can I say? What can't I say? Mm-hmm. I got a lot of mis- mixed messages, but a lot of them were very positive. Mm-hmm. And I just decided I'm just going to share it like I do at like a, a regular Narcotics Anonymous meeting. Mm-hmm. So I just sat there, just, was really honest and just shared everything. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a couple of people that were actually inspired to start telling their own story too. That's awesome. Yeah. That's that part of why we want to do this, right? I think that was the best part. Yeah, no doubt it is. Because, like, I, and that's part of why we got into this, was because we wanted to, like, encourage other people to share, too, right? And, like, I don't know about yourself, but for me, part of the thinking was, I know how hard it is for me to talk about stuff that's important to talk about for me, and having other people do it has really been encouraging, right? Like, yeah, definitely. Because that vulnerability is intense, you know? And now you get to share it for, like... I don't know. I think it's, we get like what five hundred downloads a month, ma'am. Yeah, that. yeah. So we get to we get to hopefully just keep encouraging people, right? Because that what it's that's what it's all about. So oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's been it's been so much fun. Um, yeah, I just I'm curious about your whole life, obviously. So you tell us what parts you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that must have been so incredible to go back and and be able to connect with um, when you were out there practicing as an addict like in, I don't know how we word that anymore um, I was just told that now it's the unhoused it's unhoused people that we that not homeless anymore like that makes more sense like yeah. they're unhoused but um, yeah so I'm not sure how that works but like being able to um, connect with what I've learned culture right like whether it's indigenous culture or someone else's culture like reconnecting with our culture is like Part of you see, that's like part of recovery. It's like the opposite. It's the opposite of addiction. Yeah, connection. connection. Yeah, that's right. And, and so that must have been like a heart bursting kind of thing, right? Uh, it was was a lot of mixed emotions too. Like going yeah. to the event because it was in our the old our my high school, the place I graduated, and it was like all the trauma and all the memories and like all the hardships, but also like some very like monumental things that happened to me in my life were that school. Yeah. I think that's where I learned to, I'm not afraid to, to I'm not, I love that's speaking. Where you, that's where you learned to fuck around and find out. Yeah, that's where I learned, <laughs> not, not really actually, that was, that was later, that was the yeah. later date. But that's when people learned about you and that if they wanted to fuck around, they got to find out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was really good. I walked into the school and there was like a bunch of people. They even had some, one of my cousins from Lethbridge sent up there. So that was awesome. As soon as we saw each other, we just started screaming like, oh my God, you're here. <laughs> and I think a photographer captured that moment, me and her just jumping, oh, hugging. What a good picture, right? Fantastic. It was, yeah, it was an amazing opportunity. I hope 
they do it again and I really hope I get it made it back because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it sounds like, I mean, obviously you're a valuable, like, um, person to have in anyone's life, right? Like, in terms of, um, well, all kinds of things. I can't even, like, narrow down to one or two, right? Because there's just so many things that, so many ways that, because you're out there, open about your recovery, about everything, um, that, that invites people to be open with you, right? And you, so you, you'll be invited, I think, into conversations and things that that will be very much like a part of what you're what you're all about, right? Like the, um, the coming out box. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Because I mean, to me, that sounds spectacular. If I was young, and I and I was at one point, and I was a young career boy, um, it would be it would have been fantastic to have a coming out. Yeah, it's an awesome thing. It was actually inspired by my own trauma and everything that happened to me growing up back home. Um, I've been thinking about doing this project for several years, and I just figured, you know what, it's either now or never. I actually brought it with me. This is just the prototype that I have that I've been making so far. So basically what it... So... Yeah, my project is called the coming out box, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's because basically not everyone has someone safe to come out to. It's, true. Yeah. it's like especially in like the more northern communities and whatnot, just, just like the fly-in and the isolation and everything. Because yeah. I love the north and I'm from there, but there are some aspects where I feel like they're behind the, on the times, mm-hmm. and I feel like they are coming around now. Yeah. They are, like, they have the pride parades and everything, and I'm, oh, I'm so excited about that. That like, must be amazing to see. Yeah, they had their first uh, pride parade in June. This June? Yeah, and I actually got to go attend. And I was, Where did you go? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I, I contacted the organizers, yeah. and I was telling them, I was thinking about going back up home for the solstice. I was wondering if you guys have anything going on. They're like, yeah, we're going to be doing the first pride parade. So my original dates, I ended up changing them because I'm like, I have to be there for that. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And a lot of people showed up and it was, a lot has changed in 20 years. I bet it has. I can't even imagine what it was like 20 years ago. Yeah, a lot lot has changed. There's a lot of people out there and supporting and I just, I I loved it. I loved every moment of it. It's no wonder like we love Pride so much, eh? Because it's like we, we get to see the people who really do support us, like who really are like, have some fun, like, we're just humans, right? We're just all humans having fun and trying to like be ourselves. And yeah, I've, I've just always had a really good time at Pride. It's a good feeling, right? When you realize not everybody hates us. Yeah. Not everybody does, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I haven't actually attended Calgary Pride. Oh, you haven't? No, I haven't. When they had it, I was like, I'm going to go to the mountains. Yeah. Was there a reason you didn't want to go? Or? I just... Because there's lots of mixed emotions here in town about it. So. No, there are. I'm just like uh, I do support pride, like obviously, <laughs> but I just not really my scene, mm-hmm. I guess. That's okay, and if you don't, I, I just I just don't feel like I fit some of the characteristics or the norms, like the gay norms oh, for like okay. the city folks mostly. In like, what way? I don't know, just because I I find it like it's more like non. Non-indigenous? Yeah, like non-indigenous oh. people seem to be more... Mm. Everyone's like, oh, love them. <laughs> like, I, I get it. I see what you're saying. It would be, so, that could be conflicting. But more 
racially inclusive. Mm. More which inclusive? I don't kind of I, I don't like kind of racially inclusive. Mm. I guess. Yeah. Like see more. We could use a little more. But but then again, that's not just here. That's like pretty much. I was gonna say it's every, probably across. It, it is. It is. Because from what I understand, now I don't know the history. Because I remember seeing like a poster and it really struck home because it was like all the, how it was, was like there was like all the perfect body straight, no, not straight, but like perfect body white guys on top. And it was like the top of the iceberg of the island. And then at the bottom, you see all these, all these colored and different folks of different shapes and sizes and colors trying to claw their way to the top. But... That's interesting, you see, and, and this is another, I'm so glad you're talking about this. This is why it's important to talk about, like, what we really feel about stuff. Because one of the things you mentioned, and it, I was thinking about this all week, like, really not about pride so much, but something similar, but totally different. It's like, if you don't support pride, that means you're what, anti-gay? No, it just, if you're not at pride, it doesn't mean you don't support it, it just means that you're not there. Yeah. And you're describing reasons for not being there that people like myself, yeah. white queer folks, would never think about. Okay. This is what yeah. this was what was, was the reason I asked about Pride here in town or mentioned it was because this year was the weirdest year that I've I hadn't even go to the parade no. at work. So yeah. I went to the island though after and it was such a different feeling this year. Like because there's folks out there that are now bringing attention to what you're talking about, to the fact that Pride is, has been, historically speaking, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that the, all the people who work for Pride are racist, I'm saying the organization may mm -hmm. have been a little bit biased, if not racist, right? You know, because I've heard about people do, about that, like some of the organizations, I'm not going to point out which ones or who said what, but they're like, yeah, it's like I brought it to their attention and they kind of just were like, oh, okay, but they were dismissive about it and, and nothing changed. Yeah. So I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's so, and, and Braden, like, I don't know what your thoughts on this are in terms of, like, I mean, because yours probably will be different from, from mine, because I'm just kind of becoming, literally over the last couple of years, becoming more aware of just how some of these systems that, that even as a queer man, like, that I thought would have been more sorted out, right? Like, because we're queer, so we know what it's like to be um, not only objectified, demonized, like, we know all these things. Why are we not in... In, in enveloping our fellows of all shapes to sizes, um, religions, races, anything, right? Why are we not doing that in what I think is a natural organization for us? It seems like a natural thing to me. Right? It yeah. does, but it just, I don't know. It, yeah. it is what it is, in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I bumped into uh, two of the, my friends. The five yeah. most dangerous words in the English the, language. It is what it is. <laughs> And it will always be what it is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That that actually sounds like an old KKK motto or something like that, right? Like, fuck. And I, I don't. Um, I bumped into two of my friends who were coming from the parade. They were going to um, the island, and they they were out in front of the parade, giving the police what for, because they were like, they don't think the police should be there, right? And, and like, I'm I'm obviously in the middle. I, yeah. I want people to be safe, and but that's because I don't understand. I'm 100% acknowledging, I'm ignorant. I don't know what it's like to be racialized. I don't have a clue. But I, I do don't want people to get hurt, right? Like that's one of my things. It's like, but I know sometimes people get hurt. Like I get that. But if we can mitigate that risk, that's where I come from, yeah. right? It's how do we mitigate that risk? Maybe concerns are the right idea. 
Maybe they're not. Not for Pride, because Pride was a protest, right? Um, I think it's obviously now it's become more corporate, right? So that, It has. Yeah, so the protest part of it is gone. And now I think what we might find is what I found as a, as a small grassroots charity is that when, when you're aligned with some of these more, um, I'm going to call them very human movements, like in terms of pride and like BIPOC community and bringing like more attention to BIPOC voices and like, and individuals and programs and all the different things that a person like myself would never even conceive of, of needing, right? Because in, in, in my history, I've just been assuming everyone's okay, because how would I not know? How would I know? Right? Like, unless we're faced with it, which we have been now for about six, seven years. Yeah. Been, it's been more and more in our face, this, like, the racial divide, right? And um, it doesn't, to me, I doesn't, it, it, I get where, what I always assume is that when you push people to enough, they're going to push back, right? Yeah. And so when they push back, it behooves us to remember that we started pushing first, right? And that, like, we could calm down. Wait, I, I kind of have like a little bit of an analogy for that. Like, ah, uh, I just lost it. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. But it's like when uh, it was another quote that I saw on Facebook, but it's like there was no all lives matter until there was black lives matter. And then there was like a few other examples that they used, but there was like, there was none of this until this happened. There was none of this until this happened. And it was like, I see it and it's true. It's like, because it's like Black Lives Matter that they were trying to bring attention to things that were happening. And they did. And, yeah. and it was amazing. It's been amazing. It has been. And, and it's still going. It is. And it is. Indigenous but, like, but people are just trying to like piggyback off of it. Yeah. And they're trying to like mute it, right? Yeah. Because I think that's what happens like with pride. When corporations get involved and it becomes such a corporate event that... What, like rainbow washing? Yeah, we, we, we get the whitewashing, first yeah. of all, because that's where pride has been historically. I'm not saying that's where they'll be forever, but like that's where they've been. So it's whitewashed. It's like fit washed. So if you're fit, like I went on the parade a couple years ago with the Bears, the uh, Fellowship of Alberta Bears. The funnest time I've ever had a pride. Oh, nice. Because it was just a bunch of people, all shape sizes, right? Like, doesn't matter. And um, I say, no, that's part of what the Bears wanted to do. However, I had noticed there's like, there's no, like, there's no um, diversity. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for, right? Yeah, diversity. Yeah. There's none. There's none at all, except for our body shapes and stuff like that, and body image stuff, which I get is important. Don't get me wrong. But I think what, what we're talking about here is something that's important on so many different levels for so many different people, right? And, and it hasn't been even yet, right? And yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll get there in our lifetime. I hope so, in yours. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I say in yours because you probably have more life left. <laughs> Just based on decisions that I make and have made, um, it's more likely to be true. Um, Ooh, let's get back to this. Oh, yes, please. I, Thank I, you totally, very much. Totally forgot about this almost. Yes. But yeah, this is the coming out box. The coming out box. And how I designed it was that I wanted it to be designed so that you could order it online mm -hmm. from the safety of your own home. Okay. Or you could also go to like one of the, I want to be able to have it so you could go like to the, either like the clinic, health center, nursing station, the cop station, maybe even like the school counselors. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the counselors within the community and you could go sign up with them. And yeah. 
and you'll be able to get this. So how I wanted it designed was that I wanted it to be like a plain brown box on the outside. Mm -hmm. But I suddenly get some things I'm calling box filler, but I want it to be like just plain brown on the outside. And then once yeah. you open it, I want rainbows and glitter mm -hmm. and sparkles and so you find some tissue paper and whatnot. Yeah. So this is gonna be coming out in like four stages that I'm thinking about how I wanna do it. So the first stage, what I'm doing is curated for like two spirits and indigiqueers. Because I want to start this off in my home community, in my home region of the Klesho region in the Northwest Territories. Yeah. So within the box, like once you open it, it will contain several different things. So like the first thing that I found that I'm getting is the Two-Spirit Pride flag. Because now they're doing Pride and everything up north, so I figured it's like if you want to go out and support it, you'll have, you'll have something. Because I know that certain places don't have this. So yeah, there'll be like the two-spirit pride flag. I also want to get more pamphlets and whatnot. I got this one from the Northern Mosaic Network, which is based in the Northwest Territories, the Territorial Pride Network. Okay, nice. But I really like how they, because they just had, they had a pamphlet. Like, yeah, we have a pamphlet with booklets, and they just had everything put together and has like all the information and resources in here. So I wanted to get more of this stuff to add to it. Found some cool indigenous pins that I figured maybe I'll put one or two and put them in, into the box. Cool. I wanted to do some sort of crafts and something that you could get your hands on and mm. do something, like some, some visual aids. So I got a few different things. There was like the ear of corn basket. Okay. I got some puzzles if someone wanted to do some puzzles. Yeah. So like, like it's not going to contain everything in this box, but no. there's just a few little things. You do some of the ideas, right? Yeah, some yeah. of the things I was thinking about. This. I found this, I was given this, this is like a little beading kit, so okay. you could start your own, make your own little pop socket yeah. or your own little earrings. Uh, actually, my sister made these. Yeah, these are pop sockets that she made. Uh, Cassandra's Beaded Creations. I asked her, I wanted some more beaded things, and yeah, she, she created these. I really, yeah, ask her, what colors do you want or what theme? And like, as long as they're, they're pride colors, that's the only thing that I really wanted yeah. in them. I'm just going to make a note real quick. What her, um, sorry, what was her uh, business again? Uh, Cassandra's Beaded Creations. Cassandra's Beaded Creations. Yeah, she's based in Edmonton. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, when I was at the St. Pete, I found a, a booth and they were doing, had some scrunchies. Ooh, scrunchies. So I figured scrunchies would be good. Everyone loves scrunchies. Everybody loves scrunchies. <laughs> Especially if you have a little bit of hair you got to put Yeah. And there's a couple other beaded things I wanted okay. to do. It won't be all of them, but yeah. I figured like a nice pair of earrings, mm -hmm. if someone wanted it, uh, def if they could either choose an orange t-shirt pin or a red oh, dress yeah. pin. Yeah, so you could pick one or the other. Uh, little dream catcher. Oh, I saw this and like, oh, this is beautiful. I want to try to do as much oh my goodness, I would love one of those. Pride Rainbow things. I also wanted to do introduce people to smudging up north. Nice. I found this with the uh, the seven shockers sage. Yeah. And I just figured like a little cookie tin because you could all make your cookies and then smudge. Smudge after. Perfect. <laughs> But I feel like the most important parts would be these books. Mm. So the first book I'd say would be, this book is gay. Mm -hmm. 
it's age appropriate and it has basically all the definitions and terminologies for everything being for gender, sexuality, safe sex for everyone just has everything and it's age appropriate. So cool. I feel like because once you go out there and you try to do some research, mm -hmm. you can get into some really questionable territory. Sure. This isn't questionable territory. This, this is good. So it's age appropriate and everything. But also, because it's, I'm doing the boxes Two-Spirit, this was a really good book, Reclaiming Two-Spirit. The, the histories and everything. I really enjoyed it. I feel like I feel like a lot of people would enjoy that. And the, these were by two digi-queer artists. Like, this is uh, Joshua Whitehead, the digi-queerness. He, he was the one that penned the, the term for digi-queer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was the one that did that. I don't know if you know her, but Alicia Tubers. I have definitely heard her name. Yeah, Alicia, I met her in Calgary. She did this book of poetry, and she's also a uh, two-spirit and digi queer. So I, I wanted to, I like supporting people as much as I can. That's cool. No, I'm just one. Oh, okay. But yeah, so this is what I have so far. So this is, this is the coming out box. Like the idea, so that when folks come out, they have a little package of information, eh? That's awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah. But there's a couple other things I'm going to do. Uh, one of them is I want to try to get a pamphlet or a catalog together yeah. and write down all, like where I got this, like the who, what, why, when, mm -hmm. and how yeah. for every single item. And I also want to put, to, I want to get some tissues in there, mm -hmm. some condoms, yeah. some, some both male and female condoms, mm -hmm. um, essential oils, mm -hmm. uh, like because it's stressful, coming in stressful. Yeah. And, and like, maybe, are you going to put a little lube in there with the... Yeah, yeah, a little bit of lube, and then I also want to do, like, some, what I call box filler. So yeah. I was thinking, like, sparkles, glitter, sparkles. confetti. You can never have too many sparkles. Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. so, just because, like, it's brown, plain and brown on the outside, mm -hmm. but once you open it, it's like, whew, Yeah. A rainbow hits you in the face. That's so cool. Taste the rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the most important part that I want to also include in this box is a handwritten letter for the person. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell them, like, thank you so much. Like, you may not have anyone to come out to, but thank you so much for coming out to us. Oh. You're important. You are loved. You are respected. You are honored. That's you, my favorite part of the box. It's like you will like make it. Like, it does get better, as cliche as it sounds. And then just, like, write all the nothing but positive messages and affirmations. Just know that even though they may not have anyone in their immediate circle, mm -hmm. it's like we, we still got them. Yeah. We still got them. Yeah. And plus, like... And it's yeah, also like we'll be, cry day, and it's also yeah. it could be used for different things because another one like one would be like suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a harm reduction, but possibly yeah. depending on what I put in there. Um, well, as far as I'm concerned, the whole box is harm reduction. I think. Yeah, it really is. It's about like helping people feel a little bit more accepted, right? When they probably when they might well, when I know you might feel the least accepted of your life, right? Yeah. So my first phase that I want to do is I want to try to get this in the, my region, like the Clicho region in the Northwest Territories. So that would be like Bechico, Gamati, Wekoti, and Lakla, uh, Wati. So those are like four outside communities. So I want to try to get like 50 of these boxes together. I still need to figure out how to make them cost effective. Mm -hmm. Because I think I, I think it's about $250, $300 per box so far. Okay. But maybe if I could get like yeah. do some fundraising and stuff, but I, yeah. could, I could because honestly, I feel like this 
even if it costs like 500 to 1,000, I still think this is essential that everyone needs. Well, yeah, and let's let's put a price on um, someone's like mental health, right? When they when they need it the most to support, it's probably going to be much more than a thousand dollars. Definitely. If, right? If we're talking about like um, being a support and, and mitigate some of the stress that we go through when we're about to come out, when we're coming out, like after we come out, like depending on how we receive, like all those things. Yeah, I just think it's pretty cool. Like, I mean, there was nothing when I, <laughs> there was nothing for me except for terrified, terrified. That was it. Yeah, I, I had, yeah, I didn't really have a coming out. I felt mm -hmm. like I was dragged out of the closet by my community. <laughs> okay. That sounds like it might have been rough. It was. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to talk about, like, your recovery journey? Yeah, we could talk about my yeah, recovery we'll journey. talk about your recovery, because I know it's pretty powerful shit. Yeah, it is. I guess you could, because like, growing up, I think I was about like 10 when I smoked my first cigarette. I was 11 when I smoked my first joint. Like, it wasn't like a constant thing. Like, I know it was a really young age. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like I was doing like every day. It was like, oh, it's it's New Year's. Mm -hmm. It's like, want to try this? And like, oh, okay, sure. Mm -hmm. Did that and like watched the fireworks and like had a lot of popcorn and went to bed. <laughs> And then started drinking at a younger, probably about like 12. Yeah, 10, 11, 12. And then 13, I started doing other drugs. I guess I started doing it as coping skills, like for my own coping mechanism, living in the Northwest Territories and growing up queer. Yeah, I didn't really have any like uh, people to talk to or anything about it because it's like very traditionalist and very catholic where i come from yeah was it? yeah did you was there when you were growing up was there were there any other queer kids like around you that you knew of or was everybody just so hidden until you got drunk out i know there were a couple people let's say people talked about it but people weren't really like out and open about it i guess like people were talking about stuff yeah but i guess like you could say it was like one of the first ones like just be open open about it okay yeah that must have been pretty hard yeah it, it was it really was so that's why i got into the drugs just to cope and feel better and everything mm -hmm. i was bullied a lot so of course more drug use mm -hmm. to cope with that and yeah it got to the point where the bullying was so bad that i turned i don't know i was about 15 and it got to the point where i tried killing myself because it was that rough I didn't succeed and I never tried again because I just thought, okay, if it's not my time now, then when it's my time, I'll know. Mm -hmm. So I just left it then and there. And my, I told my parents about it, so they got scared. So they picked me up and moved me to Ontario. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have a backbone or anything growing up. And then when I first moved to Ontario, it was, it was a really, it was culture shock because I did travel, but I didn't like live in these places. So like living in these places and like having, yeah. Much different than visiting. It is yeah. much different than visiting. And it's a lot different than living in Ontario than the Northwest Territories. Yeah, I bet. I hated the winter. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, as you know, living out here, it's like a very dry cold, but out there it's like humid and you can wear like 20 jackets and like 30 sweaters and you're still cold. Mm -hmm. It's much different. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
But when I moved there, that's when I got introduced to the Gay Straight Alliance. And that's how I became more comfortable with my own sexuality. Because like growing up north, I didn't see it and there wasn't people that owned it. Yeah. But when I was there, there was like oh, maybe about 20 of us, 15, 20 of us that would meet up like once a week at lunch and we all owned it and it was awesome. Right. I'm still friends with a lot of those people. And then one day the school bully tried to pick a fight with me and as I mentioned before, I was bullied a lot. So that was my snapping point. So I just turned around and I beat him up. <laughs> we were just talking about that. You push people long enough, eventually they push back. Yeah, exactly. So I just, I just not think, screw this, I just moved here. I got away from the bullies. Fuck this, mm -hmm. Just power wailed on him and then, yeah, just didn't really get in trouble because explained that, yeah, I was bullied my whole life and I moved here to get away from it and now they're going to start? I'm like, no. Yeah, and then like, but also living out there, I felt like I was homesick a lot too. Cause like I was 15, I left my friends and my family and everything and I moved with my dad and it was just total culture shock. Like I, I met some people and whatnot, but I started smoking weed a lot more as well. Like a lot more, like heavily. And I just, yeah, I ended up screwing up the school year. So I moved back up north. And being from someone up north, I don't really, I'm related to a lot of people. Like, I have four last names all in the North Coast Territories. So it's like, I got to watch out who I'm seeing. It's like, who's your grandma? Mm -hmm. It's like, are we related? <laughs> it's like, I, I'm not those, I, I don't, I, yeah, we're not those kinds of cousins. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably like relieving to find out though. Especially if you like somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've never dated anybody up north. Up north, I've never dated until I was about twenty-eight. I was probably already living in Grand Prairie for a bit after high school, and yeah, I met. I started chatting with this guy on Grinder, and he moved here from the uh, Prince Edward Island. He started working out there, and we just started ch chatting. And we hit it off right away. Ended up like picking up, moving in, uh, picking. Ended up meeting him on Christmas. I wouldn't spend Christmas with him. Everyone thought I was crazy. I was like, maybe I am, but whatever. Let's see where this goes. And yeah, we ended up like being, dating and being together for about two years. That was my first boyfriend. And then on, I think it was February 14, 2015, we ended up breaking up. I ended up, I know he worked at the oil field. So I saw him maybe for six days, and then for 21 days, he was gone. So I got more into the cocaine at that time to cope with that. I didn't really say anything or tell anyone about it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I didn't start getting to the cocaine a bit. And then one day, he was home, and I just went out partying, and he got mad and broke up with me and threw me out on Valentine's Day. And that was my first heartbreak. So I didn't really know what to do with that, or at that point. I had two, but I ended up coming, ended up going down to two options. Either A, go back north, go back home, heal, make myself better, and continue on with my life. And then the other one was like either, it's like just go back, it's like, okay, go on to the next adventure. So I ended up moving in with my cousin down in Lethbridge. I should have went home. 
I really should have went home. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like I should have, at that point, I should have just went home. But at the same time, if I went home, I wouldn't be who I am today. That's right, yeah. I ended up moving to Lethbridge and just living on my cousin's couch. I found a job and started like getting my life together. And then I met a guy. I was waiting at the bus stop and I had like really red hair, like mahogany, burgundy, red hair. Okay. And he's like, hey, I really like your hair. And then he's like, you want to come for an adventure? And I looked him up and down. He looked kind of cute. I'm like, oh, this cute guy complimented me. He wants to go on an adventure. So we ended up going for an adventure and we started drinking and everything went on. And I thought it was fun. And, and then that's when I kind of got introduced to crystal meth. Because I didn't... Like, I didn't know about the drug use before I moved down there. Like, I didn't know how heavily, like, Lathbridge was. Like, there was a few nicknames for it. Oh, my goodness. Mathbridge. <laughs> and then there's a death bridge because the guy who made that bridge committed suicide. Because oh. if you see that one end, it's not as even as the other end, like, on the downtown side. But on the yeah. west end, it's, like, kind of off a bit. And because of that, he, like, offed himself because it was, like, a big catastrophe back there. Yeah. yeah. They, they did fix it, but it was like, yeah, he... Pressure gets to people. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's me, that's for sure. But yeah, he ended up, okay, it's like, I'm going to go get smoke some cider, meth or whatever. I'm just like, oh, okay. And it's sad and everything, and I just wanted to hang out with this dude. Because I want to try, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try it. And holy fuck. I didn't know it at the time, but I was hooked instantly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. No, I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll try this next month. I'll try this next month. I'll, I'll give it a month. I know how addictive and everything it is, but within about, it took about three months. Yeah. Three months and then my life. The switch went off. Yeah, the switch went off. It's like three months and then my life fell apart because at that time I was like working two jobs and I was going to college for an apprenticeship. Wow. So I ended up, Losing both of my, I ended up losing the apprenticeship because I was only given one day off to go to school. So I ended up just like getting high all that night and then not going to school. Yeah. So I ended up losing out my apprenticeship. I lost out on my employment opportunity on both of them. So that's when I decided, no, like, yeah, I ended up losing out on that opportunity. And that's when I met another guy. And then we started chatting and everything, and we hung out. His name was Alex, and we ended up meeting and hanging out and everything. And after I lost my job, he too was in addiction, so him and I got high a lot. And after I lost my job, he's like, I'm going to move to Vancouver. I'm going to go hitchhike and move to Vancouver. Do you want to come with me? Another point I should have said no <laughs> but it was an adventure it was an adventure it was because I'm usually that person like I'm I'm, I'm going on an adventure you want to come with me mm-hmm. so at this point no one's ever said that to me my entire life and he was like I'm, I'm taking off you want to come I've always wanted someone to ask me that question mm-hmm. and here and it's like right there it was so I'm like yeah let's go we got as far as uh, Calgary from Lethbridge, which isn't that far. <laughs> Not, it's closer, closer yeah. to Lethbridge than it is Vancouver. <laughs> but we got here, yeah. I think we stayed in Airbnbs for about a month. Here and there, we stayed a week here, a week there. 
And we decided, like, no, let's just stay here. Let's just stay here. We'll get our, we'll get our life set up here and whatnot. And if this, it seems like we'll be okay. He ended up getting some scaffolding work, and I ended up like getting some jobs lined up. So, but as quickly as things get started up when you're in addiction, as quickly they can fall apart. <laughs> Yeah, so the the day before, I told my friend, like, hey, I'm, I, I can start a job. We're going to be moving into this place in the week after that. And it's like, we're getting our shit together. He's like, oh, I want to come out drinking. It's like, I want to celebrate with you. It's like, let's go out drinking and get high. I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. So we started drinking, getting high, and we had a really good time. And I went back to our Airbnb, and all of my belongings were kind of, like, put onto my side of the room or like pushed out of the room where we're staying into the other room and I guess he was mad he was made the assumption that I was fooling around with my friends but I'm I'm not that type of person <laughs> some people are they, that let them do that yeah, whatever some people it's okay. yeah some people it's okay I'm I'm not like that yeah and that's fair. and yeah I just made all these accusations and all this stuff and at one point we ended up like fighting and yeah, we fought to the point where I had to go to the hospital. And when I got out of the hospital, I went back to the Airbnb and all of his stuff was gone and the majority of my belongings were gone too. And yeah, it was just, it was the, that was when the low point started. That's when, yeah, that's when the low point started. And because, like, I'm not from here. I didn't know anyone in Calgary. Or I did have a handful of friends in Calgary on Facebook. I did try reaching out to them, like, not to for help or anything. But I'm just like, I just need someone to talk to. That's all I do. I, I just need someone to talk to. But none of them would respond to my messages. I don't know. safe to say they're not in my life anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, fair. And... Yeah, I didn't know what to do. So I had a friend in Lethbridge, and I know that she said she's been homeless in Calgary before. Mm -hmm. So I called her crying, and I explained the situation. And for three hours, I sat at Olympic Plaza on my cell phone with a notebook, and she basically gave me Homeless 101 in three hours over the phone. Wow. That's a very nice friend. And the three-hour conversation kept me alive. So go find this this person. They'll watch your bags for you. They'll watch your belongings for you. But it costs a Mickey a day. So you gotta get it be able to pay him a Mickey a day. Pay him after, not before. So I found this person. It took it took me like a day and a half, but I found this person and yeah, I told him who sent me and what was told to me and he agreed. And yeah, just yeah, pay them a Mickey a day so you can watch my bags. Mm -hmm whatever little belongings I had left. And I started a GoFundMe and yeah, I got, it took about two weeks, but I was able to get enough money to save up to go back home. It's like whatever was sent to me on GoFundMe was just for my ticket. It's like whatever money people gave me for me, I just used for drugs. <laughs> Food and drugs. Yeah. Well, and at a certain point in our addictions, like it's pretty tough to separate. It is. Just all kind of run together, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up saving up enough money for a ticket. That's fantastic. I like how people come together. It's just, it's Yeah, it was. But yeah, I was able to save up a ticket and it was awesome. And then the same friend who I went out 
with. It's like, yeah, I want to go out. Like, you're going to leave tomorrow. Let's go hang out and whatnot. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I had one of my friends longboard and I was longboarding and he was driving behind me. And at one point I hit a curb and I, I fell. My, my bag was open and all the contents of my bag fell out. So I was drunk, laughing. I'm just like pitch black. I'm like, okay, I think I found everything. Guess what I didn't have? My wallet. With my ID and, and my ticket and everything was in my wallet. I grabbed everything except for my wallet. And ended up like passing out in his passenger seat. Like uh, after we hung out and whatnot, he drove around all night getting high and I was just passing out in the passenger seat. And I woke up the next day, I was like, oh, it's time to, time to go to the airport and, and whatnot. And I couldn't find my wallet. I, I remember where I fell and that was close to the A&W by Chinook. Okay. Yeah. It was over there. Okay. So I went back over there, but I must have been like four or five hours later. There was already daylight. And I'm like, oh, there's probably zero chance that it's there, but I'll look. It wasn't there. I went everywhere. I, I found out an hour later that somebody was selling a profile. And I don't know if you know what a profile is, but it's basically a wallet full of identification. Oh. So you could take someone's identity. So I heard that someone was selling a profile. So I was like, ah. Oh. But at the same time, like my name wasn't that good because of my active addiction and my credit score was all bad. So I was like, oh well. Really it's, like, it's like I already ruined my own name. If you could if you could get a credit card, good on you. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. I can get one. <laughs> and yeah, so I ended up ended up having to try to just figure that out. I did, I was able to, I was able to like talk to law enforcement. I was able to talk to like the airline carrier and I was able to tell them the situation. It took, it took another two weeks. So basically I was homeless for like a month. But I, yeah, I was able to take that ticket and like exchange it. I think it was like, it cost like an extra $50 or whatever, but I was able to, to do that and they were able to get me on the plane and I was able to get home and yeah, that's that was quite the adventure. Oh, yeah. That was quite the the month. So that was like the first time in Calgary. I don't really count that, but at the same time, I do because I'm just like, okay, that was the worst point of my life. That's part of your past, yeah. But that's just it. It's part of your past. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. yeah. Future or present. Yeah. So I made it back home, and I figured maybe I could get off the meth because there was no meth ba back home back then. I think it kind of got up there maybe that same year, the year after, but it kind of did. But I was like, oh, I can't find it up there. So I'll just, whatever, I won't do nothing. So I ended up like kind of moving back to my mom's place. And she, my mom has a rule if I go live with her. She's like, you're either going to go to school or you're going to work, but you're not here for, you're not going to do nothing living here. So I ended up applying for school. I, I, I thought I was applying for a business admin because I wanted to figure out, I wanted to get into business admin because my parents have businesses, so I kind of wanted to learn the background of it. But in the application form, I checked the wrong box. Yeah. I ended up getting into the nursing access program instead of the business program. <laughs> I, I still took it. I applied for the wrong thing and I still went for it and I took it. But I ended up switching my drug of choice from meth to crack cocaine because it was more easily acceptable, available, readily available up north because I couldn't find what I, I wanted. 
And yeah, I got into the, I was still in addiction. So I was going to school to be a nurse and I was still smoking drugs. And just like what happened in Lethbridge happened in Yellowknife. And it was like, I was failing in everything. And then the, the last like nail in the head pretty much was, I found out that that guy, Alex, cause him and I were still talking after, after him robbing me and all that stuff. I ended up catching when that he ended up dying. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Huh? Yeah. But, and that was the last thing on the coffin I dropped out of school. I didn't even go back or anything. I'm just like, I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. So I ended up moving back home with my mom for a bit. And the same thing like my mom says, like, blah, 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 what are you going to do? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back down south. And everyone was so mad at me too. Because like you just got here from down south. Do you remember what happened to you? Remember being homeless? You remember being under the bridge? You remember having to do all of this shit? Did you forget that, Brayden? I'm like, I'm bored up here. Famous <laughs> <laughs> last words. Right? I'm like, I'm bored. I'm a little bored. <laughs> I'm a little bored. And like I mentioned before, I'm related to everybody. So there was like yeah. no zero dating potential. Yeah. And I'm bored and lonely. So I'm just like, I'll move back to Grand Prairie. So I ended up moving back to Grand Prairie and it was still not, I ended up switching my drug of choice again because I'm like, oh, I'm back in Alberta. I'm back in GP and I could go back on the meth again. First thing I did as soon as I got back there, I was like, okay, time to go buy a ball. A ball is like three and a half grams. So I ended up going out and doing that and and yeah, that's when I learned what PNP was. <laughs> Party and play. Yeah, because I was on Grindr a lot and I was meeting a lot of people. And I met other drug addicts using Craigslist because there was a lot of people looking for like hookups. But they were just like, PNP. And you learn, the you learn the language. And they talk about like ice and snow and horse and all these different little codes and these things. And I was like, oh, okay. And yeah, I just ended up meeting a guy. His name was Chris. His name is Chris. I've, you've, you've, you've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of Chris, yeah. Yeah, he's my, my ex, and he was in, in what we call in the like recovery rooms, he's a normie. Like, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs or anything. And we've learned that that doesn't necessarily mean people are normal. Yeah, yeah, no, like, no, we've definitely. Got, like, sitting out in the other room. Right? Kind of a normie. Right? He's a normie, but far from normal. Just one second. Can you check this thing, man? I don't know if my thing's on. I think my light came off. What's that? Is this on? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I don't have a light on this thing. And his lights are on and mine are off. Why is yours off? Yeah, it turned itself off. Is it? Ooh, its battery's dead, man. I have not on charge all fucking morning. Well, not fucking weird. Good news is though, bro, that Braden's is working. So Braden's story is not going to be. <laughs> yeah, you'll just be a little echoey. That's all. Yeah, I mean, people are tired of hearing my voice anyway, Braden. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's blinking, so I'm assuming that's because the battery's low, but... Yeah. Hmm. 
Oh man, can we charge them in between? Yeah. Yeah, okay, right on. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, we were at Chris. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's a normie. He was a normie and I started... Normie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started chatting with him on Grinder, obviously. Just kidding. Mm -hmm. And yeah, one thing led to another and we're going to hook up one night. And like I was still in active addiction and that's mm -hmm. something that people don't really advertise. Mm -hmm. So I never told him that I was an addict, but we ended up meeting and whatnot. And I had never said that to anyone until I said I was an alcoholic in an AA meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about it because we don't want people to think we're fucked up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm, later on during the relationship, that was something he's like, you should have told me about that. I'm like, but honestly, no, addict's going to tell you at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice yeah. thought. Don't get me wrong. It would be nice if we yeah. could, if we would have maybe, but... That's just not how it works. Yeah. So the first time I went over to meet him, we were going to get physical. Mm -hmm. But I was awake for about two weeks from all the meth I'd been smoking. Mm -hmm. So like, he's like, I'll go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And then literally, I was snoring. <laughs> Best sleep I've had in years. Mm -hmm. I bet it was. <laughs> yeah. Your body, mind, and soul needed that sleep. Yeah. And then like I woke up. I'm like, I'm so sorry. He's like, oh, that's okay. It's like. You fell asleep and then we started chatting and everything and he never did drugs or anything and it was so nice and so sweet and I was instantly smitten and then we were together for about maybe like six months and then that's when I decided to myself that's when I wanted to get clean. So by that point when I said I wanted to get clean I was going through like a ball a day. So when I finally decided that, I'm like, okay, I need to slow down. Because I know some things you can't call quite cold turkey. Like I know sometimes, I know some yeah, things, yeah. I don't know about meth or whatnot, but that was my mentality. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need a, I can't do it just cold turkey. I need to slow down. So I went that's from the, like. That's the good, that's the smart out of thinking, right? Is that I got to taper. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I did. I tapered, I tapered. I tapered to the point where it was like my last, month and I made like a gram last me the entire month and then yeah I finally put put it down it's like my sober day I'm just like I always tell people like like how did it happen like oh, the smoke cleared one day and like literally when I say the smoke clears because I ran out of fucking drugs and I took a hard look at my situation and the people that I was surrounding myself with and I just realized like I don't want to be like that like, I don't want to I don't want to be these guys this age that I'm hanging out with because they have the drugs. Like, I don't want to be hanging out. I don't want to be doing the things that they're doing. So, yeah, that's when I finally decided to sober up and I told Chris about my addiction. He was so pissed and angry about it, but it took him some time, but he came around and he's like, okay, so if you're going to do this, you got to do it for you. I didn't really understand that. So for the first month of recovery, I was kind of holding it on to him for him. But as we all know, you can't do recovery for someone else. You it can't work in the long run. It doesn't. So I did that. And he, you see, he even said he was willing to pay for the treatment for me. Like he was willing to pay out of pocket to send me the treatment to sober up. So that's when I kind of knew, like, okay, this guy's a keeper. So I ended up going to treatment and it was supposed to be a month-long program. I lasted probably like two weeks and then I got kicked out. 
I felt like I was being bullied by one of their employees. So I kind of went to the executive director about it. Little did I know was that that was the executive director's daughter. So guess what happened? <laughs> I ended up getting kicked out. So I called him right away. I called Chris right away. I'm like, I got kicked out. We had a, we talked for about half an hour. And he ended up driving from Grand Prairie to High Prairie to come pick me up. And went back to Grand Prairie. And the first thing I did was hit up a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. Because the guy, once I got kicked out of that place, like, you're not going to stay sober and blah, blah, blah. You're, you're going to die and all this stuff. And so I kind of used spite as my first one. It's like I used Chris in spite. And then I'm like, wait, I have to switch that. I have to do it for myself. Takes what it takes. Yeah. So I'm I sure I've stayed sober just out of spite. <laughs> I am certain of it that time. <laughs> Definitely. Whatever gets us through that moment, right? Yeah, so I ended up hitting my first uh, Narcotics Anonymous meeting in Grand Prairie, and I fell in love. Because like, like in the treatment centers, they do have their own meetings, but it's it's similar, but it's not. Totally understand. It's like an, it's like an introduction to meetings. Mm -hmm. That's what it basically felt like. Yeah, like, like regular no, it was like an introduction to what, what they are. But and then when I went to my first meeting, it like blew my mind and everything. And as a new, I was a newcomer to the room. So I got my, my first, I got my first two trips over there. I got my first 24 and then I got my 30 days in Grand Prairie. And yeah, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days. I wanted to be an overachiever because that's usually me. I was going to do 180, but I'm like, there, there, there was some days that they didn't have two meetings. So I'm like, I can't do this as much as I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? There's one thing that happens when you go to lots of meetings in the beginning is it takes away from the time you have to think about it. Right? Yeah, definitely. And for me, that's the same thing. I went to lots in the first, like, probably two years. Yeah. Maybe as I could. Yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. Because I also checked out the AA meetings, but it was... It wasn't really an alcohol that was my issue, it was just the drugs. Mm -hmm. But I do appreciate the AA meetings because they're the OGs. It's like if you want to hear about people with having like 40, 50, 60 years of clean time, you go to the AA meetings. Yeah, totally. And eventually there'll be people in NA and stuff like that. that yeah. More time, right? Yeah. And it's one of those things where AA just, the book is the foundation of most of the No, it is. Steps, right? So if you want to learn where it comes from, it's not a bad thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really, I did my steps with a book. And then, yeah, no, so uh, we were Grand Prairie at the time, and that's where I got, like, my first chips. And then Chris ended up losing his job because he was working at a restaurant over there as a manager, as an assistant manager, but he ended up losing his job. So we, he was like, okay, he's like, you want to still be in Grand Prairie? I'm like, not really. I'm like, do you? He's like, no. So we decided... Okay, let's go move somewhere. We didn't know where we wanted to move. So we decided to take like a two-week road trip. So we went out to BC to Vernon and Kelowna for about a week, and then we came here to Calgary for about a week. Kelowna was really good. So we decided we were either going to move to Vernon or move to Calgary. Vernon would have been really nice. You see, that was another decision. Like, should we do this or that? I'm like, 
I wonder how life would have been if we chose Vernon. But no, we chose Calgary, but I feel like there was two reasons why. Like his reason is because his mother lived here. So she mentioned to him that we could probably live with her for a few months, not saving up, not having to pay rent. And the other reason was because they had a, I found online that they had Kristen Leff Anonymous here in Calgary. They didn't have that up north or in Grand Prairie. Yeah, so as soon as we, after Vernon, we were there because I checked out some of the NA meetings over there. That's where I got my 60 day trip. It was in Kelowna. And then we came out here to Calgary and I, yeah, I went out to check out the meeting. And it was like my first meeting. I went to go check it out and the person that was like kind of running the meeting, I recognized him. Which is weird because I know nobody in Calgary. But I recognized him and it took me a moment to realize like, ah, oh, I know who he is. He was from this person's house in Lethbridge, like one of the dealers I used to go hang out with. He was living over there at one point. So, and then like, at the beginning of the meeting, they give you the list of phone numbers. So they gave me the list of phone numbers and I saw his name and his number. And I, it was who I thought it was. So that was like kind of like a God shot for me. Because it was like, I was at the right place at the right time. And like, I, like we weren't living in Calgary at the time. It's like, we're just here checking it out. And I just want to go check out a meeting. And it was like, okay, I'm at the right place at the right time. So that was my selling point. That's when they were having the, mil the meetings at the Sheldon Schumer Center. Okay. Yeah. So I started going there and mm -hmm. fell in love with it. Yeah. Right on. I haven't been there in years, to be honest. I'm not sure, like, is it still there? No, it's not at the Sheldon Schumer Center. It's at the, the church, the Wild Rose. Oh, it's at Wild Rose now. Yeah. That's where they moved to. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I just moved here with CMA and whatnot and just ended up getting my shit together. I finally grew up mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, with Chris's help. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. He was... I, I don't think I could have did it without him. He gave me the space and the time that I needed to grow. Even though that we're not together anymore, I think him and I have agreed that he was put in my life to help sober me up. Yeah, well, and we're all put in each other's lives for a reason. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't always have to be forever. Yeah. Right? So that's... Which, which is okay. Yeah. I'm finally okay with it. That's part of the adventure too, right? Part yeah. of the adventure, which I, I I've only come to realize in recovery really. Part of the adventure is not getting what we want and and having to move forward with that, right? Like, you see, I'm really bad with that. I'm really yeah. good at holding grudges and I'm still mad at the I'm still mad at the girl in kindergarten for touching my blocks, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for sure, and but because that's a part of this process too, right? No, it definitely is. Yeah. Because it, Acknowledging my first... that and then letting it go over time maybe, right? Yeah. Like my first relationship, that took that took me out because I didn't have the skills and the tools that I needed to get that emotional trauma. But at the same time, I was wasn't in a relationship or anything, so I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. It was like completely new territory. Yeah. But I guess like I did enough strength. I have enough strength, and I've done a lot of growth to the point where. This breakup didn't take me out. Mm -hmm. I'm still out here 
doing this work. I'm still working on myself. Mm -hmm. It's like I was working a second job, like I was working in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know if you were aware, but there was a Yellowknife fires. Yes. Yeah, the Yellowknife fires, mm -hmm. and a lot of people got evacuated and displaced. Mm -hmm. So I ended up stepping up with that, and mm -hmm. I was like a crisis coordinator for yeah. Calgary for uh, the Cleto. So I, I did that. Big shout out to Cleto government because they were the first ones to respond, like literally, like before the GNWT. So big props to them. But because yeah, w once I got to that point where I was going to help, I told the people at the restaurant, I was like, I think I'm going to be doing this. And they're like, oh, how long, is, how long do you need off? I'm like, honestly, I don't know. Because this hasn't happened before ever. Yellowknife's never been evacuated ever. It's unprecedented, yeah. Yeah. So I told them, like, I don't know. And I feel like it may be like a few weeks, like a month, a few months. So they're just like, okay, we're, we'll just take this as you're, uh, you're leaving us. Which I find okay because I was planning on quitting anyways. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of worked out. Right on. And there was nothing going to stop you from, from helping. No. Right? So no. Just, yeah. There was nothing going to get in the way of that. Because I had like, two jobs at the time. So it was like, do I leave the job that I really like or the one that I'm kind of outgrowing? Mm -hmm. So it was, it was the one that I was outgrowing. Appreciate it. Right on. So, yeah, I did that for about a month. It was really stressful mm -hmm. but everyone got home safe yeah yeah everyone that i was in charge of or everyone that i was helping got home safe right and then after that i was like debating should i start working start looking for another job and then i started thinking about it I'm like i really don't want to work another job i didn't have time to do anything so now that i'm working the one job i could have time to go to the gym have time to go to meetings i have time to yeah, go hiking and yeah. live a life. So I'm just like, I don't know if I want to do that. But since I'm very open and talk with my recovery, I have had some a few opportunities where I'm able to do that. And so I've been I've been doing that, and some of them I've, they're like give me honorariums, so that's been helping. So I've been just putting it out there. Yeah. Like uh, I think my first speaking event would have been for National Addictions Awareness Week last year um, in Fort Smith, North of Territories. Okay, wow. Yeah, someone put out that they're looking for someone to be a speaker. So I put my name down and we did it over Zoom. Yeah. But I talked about my recovery story and that was like the first one that I've done outside of the meetings, outside of the, uh, outside of the rooms in the meetings. And yeah, they said about 150 people were there, and I, they they heard it, and everyone loved it, and it was positive feedback. Then I can, uh, yeah, so that was like one of the first engagements that I've, I've done, like one of the events. Then that, the, the next one was actually the youth gathering in the North of Territories, in my home community, so that would have been my second one that I did. That's amazing. Um, or that may have been the third because I think the second one is actually another podcast, uh, Vernon's podcast. Okay. He's a, a guy that grew up in my home community. He, mm -hmm. he just made a podcast and he was looking for guests. He like, reached out to me. He's like, Can you be a guest? I'm like, Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. And I didn't 
I think he meant that day because he lives in Edmonton. So he, he literally packed his yeah, stuff up okay. and he like, he's like, I'm here. Where can we do this? And like, oh, shit. I thought you meant like, I didn't know today. I'm like, okay, let me get ready and we'll do this. So I talked a lot about my recovery and being too spared on his, on his podcast. And then that's when I did the talk on the youth gathering. So I did work for that. And the next one. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Um, And then I think the other event that I just recently did was with uh, Children's Services in Zixica. They were having a, like a workshop on Narcan on, on how to safely administer it and the and what it's used for. So I was name dropped for that. And one of my friends that I, I know out there, she's like, can we hire someone not from the nation? She's like, yeah. So she name dropped me and I got invited out there to speak. So I just did that uh, on Monday. Everyone loved it. And they actually invited me to come out for their National Addictions Awareness Week. So I'm going to be going out there on the 23rd to talk about my recovery story, about my experiences with Chris Smith. Right on. Right on. Being of use. What else could we ask for, eh? Yeah. And then I think someone from my government back in the Northwest Territories, I think they reached out to me as well, and they want me to do some sort of video presentation or interview with them for their own National Addictions Awareness Week. Right on. So, yeah. So I'm just... So I don't think I'm going to get another job. I think I'm just going to be doing like events and speaking and facilitating and whatever's needed. And fundraising for the coming out box. Yes, I'm going to be doing that eventually because right now I just finished putting my prototype together. Because originally I found a company or an organization in the territories I was interested in and helping with the funding, but I did miss the deadline. So I'm like, regardless of the deadline, this, I, I want to put this out there. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you put a package together in terms of what you're looking for, like in each box, like yeah. once you get that finalized, what each box is going to look like, please let us know because we'll pass it out to you. We'll, we'll bring attention to it as much as we can. Awesome. That's awesome. Cause, pleasure. Yeah, the coming out box, the first phase was going to be like my... Um, region of the Northwest Territories, like the Clicho region. Yeah, makes sense. The second phase, I think I'm going to, either one of two things I was thinking of, either implement it territorial and just the Northwest Territories, mm-hmm. or take on the North of 60 and do all three territories. Oh, wow. So with that, I want to try to do 500 boxes. And I think I talked to an organization in the territories and they're interested in being maybe the company to mail them out for me. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that would be valuable. Yeah, definitely. So I'm still talking to them about it. And I also wanted phase three I want to do for nationally. But when I get to phase three, that's when I want to try to curate it so that you can pick and choose what you want in your box. Because right now I'm trying to do it just for the two spirits, but I want to do it for like regular like gay pride like the rainbows queers yeah and then try to then i could do it into like either like gays or lesbians or bisexuals trans yeah 
Well, and, and that's interesting because you know what? Like as we're talking about it, there's there are differences, right? There are that folks outside the queer community might not even consider, right? Yeah, because like, what if someone because some information may be beneficial for one person, but it'll be completely useless for another person. Yeah, like as a bisexual man, like sometimes I, I feel I'm left out, right? Which is fair. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I don't need anything. I'm just yeah. saying that like sometimes it just feels like there's either one way or another and nothing in between for people. Yeah, and of course, folks outside of the queer community. I mean, it's hard enough for lots of folks to understand any of it. The LGBTQS plus, right? Like any yeah. of us, it's hard for them to understand. What they might forget is that we're not all the same. Like we don't all have, and I, I mean, even bisexuals, we're not all the same. We all have different things that, yeah, that are like, you know, that we need or want or whatever it is. Right? You see, so so with like the box, I'd be able to like, carry a box for like bisexuals. Mm-hmm. And I would buy one, 100%. I would do it and I'd treat it like I was coming out again. <laughs> because it's like one of those things, I, I became a part of a, uh, a two-spirit LGBTQ 12-step um, meeting. And we started it down south. And that community that, that's growing there is so cool for me. Swinging to recovery? No, this is uh, Live and Let Live. Oh, okay. Uh, myself and two of my friends started it. And it... Um, it's at the Lutheran Church of the Cross every Thursday night. Um, it is a, um, to me, as a bisexual man who's been hidden most of his life, you know what I mean? Like, it, um, it's one of those places where I actually get to just be myself. Where I feel like this is helping me become myself. Right? Like, to not only just become bisexual Dave, but to understand even what that means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's... Yeah, that's why I felt about swinging to recovery because mm-hmm. they have that the Sonalta Community yeah, that's Association. That's, yeah, yeah, that's that Sonalta, and there's also um, queer ideas of fun on Sunday nights. That's not, that's a different fellowship. Right? Okay. Yeah, um, but oh. it's CA, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, I did try making that mm-hmm. that queer CMA CMA group. Yeah. Yeah. Try that for a bit. I feel like it, I don't know, didn't really have, mm-hmm. most of the time it was just me. Well, and see, that's yeah. part of the trouble, right? Like, we, we've um, we found that, because there's a nice mixture of the three of us who, are, who started the meeting, there's like, we usually get 13 to 25 people at least. Nice. And we just started in May, so we're hoping that, like, gradually just becomes more and more. But, like, honestly, it's one of the most relaxed groups I've ever been a part of. Nice, i have to check it out. Yeah, you're welcome. Of course, anytime. Anyone is welcome. It's not just for um, two-spirit LGBTQ. But, of course, that's if you're, like, if you are just, like, straight and or, or curious or whatever you might be, you're welcome to come. But remember, it's our space. Yeah. Right? Like, it's our space, and you're welcome to come. And um, it's, like, one of those things, as a guy who's hidden his whole life, it's really hard for me to, to trust, right? Yeah. So, like, that space is very important for me to be open, right? And, and for everyone, straight, curious, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just like, um, yeah, anyway, it's one of those places where as a young, a young, like, hidden bisexual man, I wish I had sooner, right? Like, yeah. Um, but it's never too late, as long as you're alive. Yeah, definitely, it's never too late. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? This has been so awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. See, even if it wasn't this, I just love talking to you. It's like, 
so effortless talking with you, David. Oh, you too, Brandon. It's just so nice. Um, yeah, I, I always have just such a nice, you bring such a nice feel, like energy and spirit with you, and I just really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much.